1: What's happening, guys? Super special guest joining us here in our midweek edition of the Born Offside Show. It's Hal Robson, Kanu tuning in all the way from the UK. Hal, where are you joining us from?
0: I'm currently joining you from uh, London, uh, more specifically uh, Barnes in London. So, um, right. yeah, it's a beautiful day here. Um, obviously, heading into into summertime um, in the UK, which is nice. So we're we're beginning to get some breakthroughs of sun, which uh, Yeah, I suppose you guys are used to down
1: under. We are used to. You can probably tell by what I'm wearing, though. Winter's hit pretty early here, and it's nice and cold. I'm in Sydney, which hasn't been too bad compared to Melbourne and the rest, but we are feeling a bit of a cold snap. So I know what life's like for you guys. But yeah, most of the time, plenty of sun over here. Mate, I was very excited uh, to get you on the pod today because, as you know, we are a long way away, but your football that you've played is very global. So the Premier League, the Championship, even League One, League Two, we're all excited for the playoffs. We've seen your career... But Aussie fans are probably wondering, where are you now? Because we last saw you playing for West Brom in the Premier League and then we didn't hear from Hal robson kanu after that. What's What's been keeping you busy?
0: Yeah, so I, I finished playing uh, my last game in professional football was uh, in the Premier League um, for West Bromish Albion against Leeds. Um, I, I happened to score in that goal, which was a nice uh, nice little sort fact of for me. But yeah, it was my last professional game um, and that was in 2021. So, t- Two years ago now. And yeah, essentially, I had set up a business, you know, uh, health drinks business called uh, the Turmeric Co. Um, And we'd, you know, experienced a lot of growth. And I was actually running it alongside playing professional football. Um, And then, you know, during that period as well, um, I I had a young family. So, you know, had had uh, three kids in total. And so uh, I just kind of had to make a decision in terms of, you know, my time. And where I invested uh, my, my intent, my attention, and you know, there's only a finite amount. You know, there's not a finite amount of hours in in the day, and so yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where I just made the decision to focus more on on my family and focus more on on the business. Um, and having had a career for over seventeen years at the you know sort of top top levels of the English game, I was um, yeah was was pleased to, uh, to, to to move in a different direction.
1: Uh, is that something that's pretty common from footballers in the Premier League? Because we hear about the crazy salaries in the Premier League and how much footballers earn. Do many of them, you know, embrace other forms of income or look at starting a business? Or is is it mainly just football, football, football until the day they retire?
0: No, I think um, definitely of old, it would be very much, you know, football, football, football. But I think the modern day footballer now, the modern day athlete is, mm. you know, has a diverse range of interests. Um, you know, there's great examples of, of athletes who have other passions uh, other commitments in their life and they do that while you know playing at a very high and competitive level don't get me wrong i think to be successful in anything you have to be fully committed to that profession or to that skill set but actually when you have the opportunity and in my case you know physically i was being you know demanded upon as a professional athlete in the premier league on a daily basis But mentally, you know, you'd finish training at 1pm and you'd have the whole day to, you know, sort of obviously rest physically, but from a mental perspective, there was capacity there to, you know, to put that to work and put that into interests that were passionate to to, to me. And so, you know, a lot lot of professional footballers, they'll play sort of FIFA from, you know, sort of (laughs) 1pm in the afternoon till 2am in the morning. Um, (laughs) However, I, you know, chose to sort of build build a, a business and 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 focus my passions there and and ultimately the business itself which we will obviously you know I'm sure we'll touch upon it's very much um, a health focused business so it's a, yeah. a product range which is really changing people's lives through inflammation uh, but with natural ingredients um, you know and, and we've been we've done some phenomenal work over the last two years we've just published our first clinical trial on the impact that the product has on reduction of inflammation um in the blood and yeah you know given that a lot of ailments um and a lot of dis-ease in the world is due to inflammation you know being able to reduce that naturally for us is um is, is something really unique and, and why we're so passionate about
1: what we do yeah right i actually do want to talk a lot about that um but so th- does that mean you used to get slapped up by the lads in fifa though by the sounds of it so while you were off doing great things you were never very good at that were you yeah <laughs>
0: yeah to, to be honest like thankfully i spent um from the age of probably 8 years old till the age of 19 20 playing fifa you know okay. 12 to 12 hours a day pretty much so um so you, you get to a base level where you know you're just hard to beat so even now i'd i'd, I'd bat myself against the um you know the the most avid fever players and and say that yeah I'll, I'll be difficult to beat if 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 it, if it's all possible
1: <laughs> <laughs> i want to see that in action maybe we can fire that one up but uh let's talk about that we are going to talk about your career and how it all came to be and your time at arsenal and all the rest but for now let's talk about turmeric co because you also like most footballers like most athletes you had some darker days through injuries and that was that the main spark for you to move into this healthcare. Where did the inspiration come from?
0: Yeah, exactly that, Claude. And I think, like, looking back um, as a 15 year old, I suffered a major knee injury, which I required surgery for, and I was out of you know the game for 12 months. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager, you know, these are formative years of your sort of development. You know, physically, you're developing, you know, obviously growing, technically, tactically, you know, with the ball, you're competing at a higher level you know, beginning to train with potentially first team players, reserve team players, and preparing yourself to go into professional football. And so, you know, I missed out on that completely. And coming back after 12 months, I then suffered the same cruciate knee ligament injury and then required a subsequent um, uh, surgery again. And so I went for a period of effectively not kicking a ball for two and a half years. And after the second surgery, the, the surgeon and the physio, you know, basically said, look, you know, we we don't think you're going to be able to play without pain or restriction in your knee again. And, you know, it's probably best that you begin looking at a different career path. Right. But my dream, you know, as, as young as I can remember, was always to play in the Premier League. You know, I wanted to become a professional footballer. I wanted to realise those dreams. So I was like, you know, no, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, you know, give it this my best shot. And so went through the surgeries, went through the rehabilitation. And after two and a half years of rehabilitation, I began playing and training again. However, exactly what the surgeon and the physios said, you know, happened, I, I would go for a run and my knee would just balloon. It would take me 15 minutes in the morning just to get enough, you know, range and flexion in my knee because of the stiffness. And obviously, you know, the inflammation and trauma it had experienced from these surgeries. And so I was between a bit of a rock and a hard place. And, and the physios at the time were like, look, we, we kind of told you this was going to be the case. You either get on with it or look at doing something different because that was the reality. Yeah. And so, um, but the physios then said, look, that you can take these anti-inflammatories and these painkillers, which will sort of take the edge off the pain that you're experiencing and might and might allow you to, you know, play with a little less restriction. So I began taking these, you know, drugs which were, you know, ibuprofen, diclofenac, mm. paracetamol, mm. almost like Smarties over a two-week yeah. period. Mm. And my body just had an adverse reaction to them, you know. So I started passing blood in my urine, had severe nausea, couldn't sleep. And so after all of the trauma I was experiencing I was then going through this you know this uh, opportunity to reduce the pain by causing more trauma to my body and I was just like look it's just not this isn't the way it should be and so I remember you know breaking down and my dad was at mine at the time and I was 17 years of age um at Reading Football Club and um Yeah, like broke down and said, look, there there, there must be a way to recover naturally, you know, from the pain and inflammation I'm experiencing. And so at that point, we basically went on a research binge and we began looking at, you know, various different cultures, various different practices, whether it was Ayurvedic practices, you know, ancient Asian practices around, you know, nutrition and the impact that it has on inflammation and pain. and what reduces that consistently and so we began identifying these natural ingredients which were relatively readily accessible so things such as watermelon things such as pineapple things such as pomegranate things such as ginger and then subsequently things such as turmeric but it was all about consuming it in its rawest format so it wasn't about taking it in a pill in a capsule in a tablet it was about having it in a blend of its natural form but also in a bioavailable format adding things like black pepper to it adding things like a fat soluble such as a flax or an olive oil and so you know over a very short space of time we gathered all this information and my dad basically began creating this blend sourcing the ingredients and then creating this blend and yeah long story short after a couple of weeks of iterations he created this golden elixir which he would make after you know every every few days and leave them in my fridge and I would just sort of take them two or three of these a day. And I immediately noticed a boost in my energy um, wow. simply because I was, you know, nutrient deficient generally because mm-hmm. my diet consisted of, you know, baked beans, plain chicken and white <laughs> pasta. That's all I ever yeah. ate. Yeah. So, you know, being nutrient deficient, having this, you know, golden elixir with all of these functional macro micronutrients in and compounds, it immediately had a boost to positive boost to my energy. But, you know, didn't take any edge off the but it was after, you know, essentially six weeks of using this blend consistently, you know, two three times a day, every single day, that you know my usual routine is wake up, roll out of bed, head into the bathroom, into the shower. But it was in that shower, at that moment in time, that I realized that was the first time in over two and a half years I would woken up without any pain or restriction in my knee. Wow. And so it was a massive light bulb moment for me. From that moment on, I was able to then begin to go and play pain free. After a year, I then made my first team debut. A year later, I made my international debut. And then a year after that, I made my Premier League debut, um, you know, with Reading when we won promotion. And wow. so it effectively became the secret weapon for me. And I used it throughout my career. Yeah. We began giving it to friends and family, etc. um, began giving it to teammates. And yeah, eventually, um, you know, in sort of 2016, we decided to, you know, bring this, product, this homemade recipe and remedy um, to market. And we eventually launched the Turmeric Co in 2018. And it's really, you know, since launch, we've just sort of gone from strength to strength and a service, servicing more and more people, everyday people who are looking to naturally reduce pain and inflammation, naturally lead an energetic life. And ultimately, you know, li- live a life, um, you know, of freedom, um, and 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 as optimized as possible. So it's an incredible
1: story. That's an unbelievable story. So I get what you did there, though. Very clever. You know how you found this secret ingredient you thought you know what, i'm going to keep this to myself so that i can bang in all these goals and play at yeah. the highest then when i'm finished i'll tell yeah. everyone else about it so everyone else can join me yeah. and i love it um mate as someone that's gone through a lot of that myself uh similar acl problems but also a, a hip resurfacing quite young so inflammation has been a big issue for me this product i've heard about it through you but i haven't i haven't seen it anywhere here in australia is, is, is there a plan to bring it all the way here
0: yeah so I think like the the biggest thing for us is you know we we obviously launched the turmeric Co and we have our unique blend uh, and range and you know you could go into like a pret or like an MS. um okay. I'm trying to think of what stores you might have over in the uh, in the um uh, in Australia but you'll see like turmeric or ginger shots on the shelf yeah yeah. But when you actually look at them and spin the bottle and look at the ingredients, you'll see that they're made up mainly of an apple juice, an orange okay. juice or a water. Right. And then the actual functional ingredient, i.e. the turmeric or the ginger, you know, or even something like an ashwagandha is like less than a percentage. Right. But then the format in which it is, is like a turmeric powder or turmeric liquid, which is actually water combined with turmeric and has been highly processed already. So you left so with 0.0000% point, point like, zero,
1: zero, zero, zero of turmeric.
0: <laughs> literally, yeah. It, right. So it's, it's, it's quite insane. And we obviously only realize this now because we're in the market and we're delivering such a high quality product. Mm. But for us, like we manufacture our own product and I didn't, you know, I haven't gone into detail, you know, i will save the details for another time, yeah. but yeah, we yeah. basically built a manufacturing facility in order for us to deliver this high quality product to to consumers, to to people in all different walks of life. There's no one else in Europe or in the UK that we could find that could have made it for us. Everyone refused in terms of like the big juice beverage, um, you know, functional beverage manufacturers. Mm. They all process pre-processed juices, mix them, combine it with a little sprinkle of, you know, the functional name of an ingredient, which is effectively like flour, because it's been, you know, compromised and processed so much, there's zero nutritional benefit, but it's marketed as a functional shop. So for us, like the biggest thing is the product itself. And so we make it fresh. And so for us, when we're looking at, you know, expansion, looking at internationalization, Mm. 100%, we know that, Australia, as an example, would be a massive market for us. You know, yeah. super health aware, super health conscious. Yeah. You know, really attuned with their bodies. You know, understanding you know the importance of nutrition when it comes to health. And so, for us to make that step, we, we have to maintain the level of quality of the product. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we we we're looking at it in terms of internationalization, but. We're not going to launch into a, um, you know, into a new country if we cannot deliver that same level of, you know, expertise that we deliver in our manufacture process within that um, uh, uh, market as well. So, yeah, it's something definitely in the pipeline, um, but we're, we're going to take our time to make sure when we do deliver, deliver it you know, it's impacting customers exactly the same way as it's impacting customers in the
1: UK. You know what, Hal? I've been rejected a few times in my life. That's the best rejection I've ever heard. You know, that, that, is, that is absolutely brilliant. You'd be, you'd be great at breakups. That was fantastic information. Maybe I have to come all the way over there and grab myself a box or something and bring it back. I've got a solution for you. It's only been two years since we've seen you play on the professional level. And I've been hearing rumors and maybe they're just bullshit rumors. You can tell me. I've been hearing rumors that you may come out of retirement and play for Wrexham. Now, a lot of people have been linked for Wrexham. If that's the case, I'm saying forget that. Forget playing in the ice cold in the UK nine, ten months a year. Don't worry about that. You come to the A-League where you only have to play 27 games. Uh, you would have. Did you ever play with Adam LaFondra? You would have. I did, yeah. Right? yeah I He's do, having I a do. great time. But, He's, yeah. He sits out half the season injured, you know, and then he pops up for finals time, scores a few goals. He's loving life over here. Did you ever consider playing abroad? <laughs>
0: um yeah I did I did and um yeah there's been a few few clubs um from Australia previously who were you know looking for my services but yeah I think um no it is uh, everything I've heard about playing in in the A-League is is phenomenal you know the way of life culture um you know the obviously the weather um everyone has has had, had you know only positive things to say about it like you said the likes of Adam Lafondre, even the likes of Simon Cox, who, you know, yeah. played in the Premier League, um, you know, and had, had a had a stint out there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, there's a big enough pool. Maybe distribution of the tournament code could persuade me. uh, That's right. Get get, get right. to the club owners. I'll
1: I'll talk to them. If there's a front of shirt sponsorship along with a position on the team sheet, then I think maybe we can start (laughs) talking at that. I'll have a word with some important people for you, mate. But let's talk about your career from day one because a lot of young footballers listen to this podcast and I want to talk about your experience because in and amongst all those injuries that you just mentioned, there was also a shift from an Arsenal youth system to Reading, where you got your breakthrough through a man that we all know now, Brendan Rogers, who at the time was the academy manager there. Tell me about being a young footballer in England. It must be so competitive. How often do players get dropped from bigger clubs, not know where to go? Did you did you always did you always know you were going to be a professional footballer? Were there those moments of doubt? Besides the injury, just because maybe one coach thought you weren't big enough or weren't good enough?
0: Yeah, no. So it's, it's a really good question and a really good point. You know, I, I, I was um, I joined Arsenal as a ten year old. Mm. You know, can you imagine joining a freshman lap as a 10 year old, you know, you yeah. arrive, you get everything given to you, you know, mm. kit given, boots given, mm. you get, you know, every, every other week, there's fresh balls, you know, on, mm. on the pitches, yeah. you know, so it was it was a complete like, it was an eye opener to sort of what the elite standard is. Mm. And so I stayed at Arsenal from 10 to 15 um, within their schoolboy system, was playing and training with them, you know, four or five days a week, you know, mostly in the evenings during the midweek. But then as you get older, they'll then take you out of school for half days. So, you know, two days of the week at school when I was 13 and 14, I would finish a half day and then get picked up, driven to the Arsenal training ground and then train, you know, play, watch games and it was um yeah it was an incredible like um grounding for me um but when you get to 15 all of a sudden it's you know everyone remembers and I remember because I was I think I was 14 around at the time when Wayne Rooney broke into the onto the state scene and scored that incredible goal yeah. against um Arsenal Mm. Um, for Everton as a 16 year old yeah so then it begin. you begin to see and realize actually okay well the objective here is to play in the first team and to Mm. begin to have a professional career and so like that mind shift and that um, expectation all of a sudden creates creates pressures and creates you know um, ultimately you know um, and it it creates an environment where there's a level of expectation around you is you're not just playing football to have fun anymore Mm. you're not just playing football because you love it you're playing football because well you're trying to have a professional career you're trying to become a footballer Mm. and i think like that shift impacts a lot of young professionals and whether they're boys or girls like in a negative manner because you lose that enjoyment of the game it then becomes an obligation where As a matter of fact, it is actually a privilege. Mm -hmm. So something that, you know, I was able to then incorporate as I grew older was that really acknowledging at all times that this is a massive privilege. Like this isn't work. This is like fun. And I'm going to enjoy every single moment of it, even in the big games where there's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation. And mentally, you have to be extremely strong to do that because people's jobs are on the line whether you win or whether you lose you know if you're promoted or if you're relegated like you are impacting a lot of people you're then impacting yourself you know if you want to earn that new contract if you want to get that move if you want to play in the premier league if you want to get picked at an international level all of a sudden again all of these expectations try and like creep their way into the psychology and the psyche of A relatively young individual, so being able to really be steadfast and say look like I know that these there are expectations in how you know this this opportunity is perceived but actually I'm not interested in that like I'm Mm. very aware that I just want to enjoy what I'm doing and I'm passionate about what I'm doing and I'm going to give my best and if I give my best then the rest will really take care of itself and so yeah back to your you know original point as a 15 year old all of a sudden you know you're getting told you're not big enough you're not strong mm. enough you're not quick enough and for me personally obviously I hadn't gone through a growth spurt I hadn't developed physically you know I was a, I was a late developer mm. that was a massive setback so it wasn't it wasn't it's not it's not always a case of okay yeah I know I'm going to become a professional footballer yeah because you don't know what's going to happen but what you can say is like I'm determined to make this happen and I'm going to give absolutely everything that i can give to achieve my dreams and having that mentality like that resilience to then um you know build into your philosophy you know just relentless persistence and perseverance like Mm. that's what differentiates between having a career not having a career and then again, differentiates between having a career and having a successful career at the highest level. Mm. Like it's the levels of that willingness and that, you know, that psychology around, you know, your approach to what what it is that you're looking to do. Um, so, yeah. So, I, and I think like winding it all back, like, where does that come from? I think it just comes from like really truly having a passion. Mm. Like if you're, if you love playing football or you love playing, you know, cricket or golf or tennis or whatever it is or you love reading books or you love studying whatever it is like just be so passionate about it yeah and just like really live and breathe that and Mm. the rest truly you know really does like take care of itself
1: you know yeah no definitely I rate that um for you though like you tell me about that story that was 2003 2004 that was less than that was less than 20 years ago and to hear that a club like Arsenal who was already under the guidance of Arsene Wenger and would consider a player too small at that level. And that, that's the reasoning. Is that still happening in the Premier League today? Because you think the Premier League now with the with the cities now and that type of system and Newcastle's new system and all these big clubs that are European giants and exposed to the best players in the world would change their mentality. But are you still seeing great players go missing into the distance because they're not big enough?
0: Um, I think it's definitely become less of a thing, particularly okay. with obviously the rise of... Um, you know football has developed in terms of you know the the philosophies around you know the manipulation of the ball you know mm. before football and general generally sports was physically reliant you know so yeah. you had to really be physically competitive mm. on the flip side again you have to physically you have to be like robust you have to be an athlete yeah. to become a professional footballer particularly in this day and age you know it's All even right. more competitive the tempo is even you know higher than what it was mm. but in terms of like this is more a case of like the infrastructure for nurturing players. And that has definitely changed. And I think, you know, stories such as mine, you know, obviously stories such as Harry Kane was obviously let go from Arsenal as well. You know, he was a chubby little kid. You know, they didn't think he could be, you know, compete compete at at a high level. You know, there's great examples of that now. And I think that nurturing um, of players to allow them time to develop is definitely in a better place but that being said all of these coaches all of these managers they're all under pressure as well even yeah. the academy system to deliver players That's so if right. you've got two players yeah. who are at, at 14 or 15 years of age exactly the same technically mm. you know so technically they're both the same but one player at 15 is you know can do 100 meters in 11.5 and another player at 15 can do 100 meters at they're always going to pick that player at 11.5 and that's to say that's not to say in two or three years time the player who was doing it in 12.5 can now do it in sub 11 right so it's like you don't know that but at the same time because of the pressures and the expectations it it forces you know people and coaches to
1: to to make these
0: decisions. Mm,
1: We did get the news here and we actually spoke about it here on Born Offside about Crystal Palace I believe it was last year became one of the first clubs to officially put a three-year plan to keep working with the players that they drop from their academy system and make sure they land on their feet either at another club or in something else, which is great to hear. And with the amount of money flowing into a league like the Premier League, you expect that from these clubs. But then you get the fascinating stories like Mpanzu, who's playing for Luton Town. He may become the first player to go from the conference, League 2, League 1, Championship and now Premier League with the same club. I wanted to talk to you about the playoff weekend because we know it's a big deal over there in the UK. Everyone goes to Wembley for these three massive matches. You've been involved in heartbreak around that time of the season. You've also been involved in a promotion to the Premier League. What's your tip in that game with Coventry taking on Luton?
0: Yes, it's a massive game. And and also you know, the, the fact that we're saying, you know, next season in the Premier League, either Coventry or Luton is going to be a Premier League club is, yeah. is really crazy. But, yeah. uh, but you know, we, we've seen it before. The likes of Blackpool, you know, the likes of, you know, when Brighton ro- rose to the ranks, most, most recently the likes of Brentford have really risen through the ranks as well and i think when you look at these clubs the clubs that any club and any um any organization really but any football club their success is always driven by the direction from the ownership you know mm-hmm. so if the owners of the club really have a vision have a clear objective and then understand the their identity and how they want to get there like they can invest into that. And th- and what that affords is it affords time to the people within that environment because they, they trust in the process. They trust in what they're creating. Whereas when you have, you know, ownership and you see this at the, at the very highest level of, of sport where, you know, they don't really have an identity. They're just looking, searching for something and they don't really know what it is that they're looking for. Yeah. You know, the turnover of managers, the turnover of players, the turnover of styles for a football club just becomes relentless Mm. and that breeds inconsistency which you know ultimately is the opposite of uh, of how you generate success so yeah i think um these games are massive because so much is riding on them i think you know when i played in these games i think that it was worth you know 100 million now it's worth 150 million i don't know the latest yeah. stats yeah You'd be surprised but will be close to 200 million so it's like these are massive massive games yeah. for clubs and they they're also massive games for the players and i think as a player you know the these games will ultimately define your careers mm. you know so if you if you get promoted to the premier league like that's a massive change like a lot of these players you will you know you'll double your salary you'll be playing against you know at the very highest level you can call yourself a Premier League player you know you can test yourself at the very highest game you're creating opportunities for you to progress in your career if you have a fantastic season you know for the next 12 months you could end up mm-hmm. moving to a you know to a Premier League or a, a, an established Premier League team so yeah it's, um, it, it's super super exciting and you know as much as as we've said all of the pressures and expectations which we've spoken about there like as much as those are really prevalent like i think again like just go and enjoy it like just embrace embrace the opportunity It's, it's good because it's it's not easy getting to there in the first place.
1: Exactly. Enjoy. you don't know when it's going to happen again. So either way, we've got a fairy tale on our hands with whoever goes up to the Premier League from that game. And it's the same in League One and in League Two. I need to ask you a few questions from the other two members of the of the show, of the podcast, who couldn't be here. we got Olan Tekes and Kat Haddad gave me a few questions they wanted me to ask you. And the first one is about a team which was promoted a fair bit down the ranks. We mentioned them earlier, Wrexham. They're up into the Football League. They've got a great following over there. And I think since that promotion... Every second or third Welsh player is being linked to the move to Wrexham. Is Gareth Bale going to come out of retirement? You know, is there any truth to the rumours about Hal Robson-Kanu? Has there been any communication between you and the club?
0: Um, yeah, so I think like from that perspective, well, I was basically like tipping my hat to to Wrexham and saying, look, like if if they if they were you know serious about bringing a player like you know former player of uh, of the Premier League to to Wrexham. Um, you know, I would actually consider it because I think you know, a lot of, a lot of um, you know clubs, as I was talking about, you know, direction and and you know having that philosophy and having that belief, like what what they've created and done at Wrexham over the last few years in such a short space of time is phenomenal. Um, but in order to continue doing that, like you need to keep building, and I'm sure they have plans in place for that. And um, so yeah, so from my perspective, obviously I'm I'm super super busy, and you know I'm I'm. I've got real clear, defined focuses on what on what I'm trying to do, but yeah. you know uh, something like a Wrexham uh, would certainly be 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 uh, be, be considered uh, from me is is what I would say. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there's obviously a big planning phase uh, in any promotion and in any off season. Um, but yeah, I obviously wish wish the club all the best and want to see them continue go, to go from strength to strength, which I'm
1: sure they will do. It's a proper Hollywood story. And another man who was linked with a move there for about 24 hours until he shut it down on social media was Gareth Bale. For me, an incredible player that I got to watch here, You're obviously playing for Real Madrid and, and got to go over and, and see him play live once back in the day as well. But playing with him for Wales must have been brilliant. I want to ask you, though, this was another question we had who for you is the best welsh player ever
0: oh best welsh player ever wow um yeah i think i would say in terms of obviously what what he's achieved and you know the 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 impact that he had on the nation like without doubt you know gareth bell has done something which you know i don't think another welsh player will do again um right. certainly in our generation mm. um and so for that, you know, you have to give it to, to Gareth Bell, but actually from my perspective, you know, there was some incredible greats, you know, in the history of, of Wales, you know, going yeah. back to, you know, the likes of Ryan Giggs, you know, the mm. likes of Mark Hughes, mm. obviously, you know, the, the, there are, um, yeah, there, there's some incredible, credible players in most, re- more recently, the likes of Joe Allen and Aaron Ramsey, who were always in sort of Bell's shadow, but actually yeah. within themselves, they were, you know, top, top players. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's been a definitely been a golden generation, um, and I think for Wales now, hopefully, it's given given the nation that foundation to actually continue to deliver that level of talent and and continue to compete because yeah. that that's the objective. And you know, what would it be now? Maybe close to fifteen years ago, you know, it was the objective was was to you know set a new standard. For Wales as a national team, mm. and you know, show that as a nation, you know, we can compete at any level, um, yeah. and obviously uh, on an international tournament level basis. And yeah, I think you know, having qualified out of you know three of the last four major tournaments now, I think that that precedent's been set. So yeah, hopefully, you know, the the, the aim is is for that to continue and and for for, for more success. Yes, um, uh, in in the nation to be achieved.
1: That's awesome. Uh, you guys just seem like always such a close knit group. Even from the uh, the team photos before the game, always make me laugh as well. And they're just so weird and wacky. And I know you guys playing something like that. Uh, I want to talk to you about that Euro run. You know, sometimes I, I I think about myself, right? Like I I do a lot of things when I, when I'm working. I produce, I present, I create shows, I, I run a business, I do all these things. And every now and then, I bump into people, and they're like saw so that TikTok you made because I made a series of TikToks that went viral. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the guy, you're the TikTok guy. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm the TikTok guy. Do you ever get sick of being asked about that turn at Euro 2016? Because it's a phenomenal goal and it was up for the Puskas that year. And it's a great. It's something that I feel as though you'd be proud of and want to talk about forever. But anytime, if I Google your name, it comes up with that Cruyff turn at the 2016 Euros. Do you ever get sick of people not asking you about the rest?
0: um i don't know but this is this is the beauty of football right like it has those moments which really define players define careers um and for me you know that was a career defining moment without a doubt you know what it meant you know i think it was obviously at the time you know, the magnitude of that goal what was significant you know quarterfinals i think we we're ranked we were up against i think belgium were ranked number one in the world yeah. at the time yeah you Know so it's like it's just a crazy, crazy sort of story, and yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so based on that, like I don't, you know, I understand football and, and the impact that it has on people, and yeah, and, uh, I think that was a, a moment which was, you know, so so unique.
1: Is your favorite goal ever that you scored?
0: Um, yeah, I'd say, you
1: know, I've scored
0: obviously, you scored my first Premier League goal against Tottenham, is something I'll, I'll never forget. Um, obviously, internationally. Um, you know had had those great great moments um scored earlier in the tournament so my first you know major tournament career goal mm. but yeah i think as a as a sort of you know, moment that you're never going to forget. It's obviously, yeah, it was insane. It was incredible.
1: Huge run for you guys all the way to the semi-final and went down to the eventual champions. It was an incredible run. Hopefully we see Wales making those runs deep into tournaments for many, many more years to come. Uh, I did want to ask you though, before I let you go, I did get a bit of a, you, you, you're, you're fantastic. I can see you're a great business owner. You're a great politician. I did want to get a couple predictions for the games coming up this weekend. The first one, Coventry taking on Luton. Who's winning that game, Hal?
0: Oh, that's a great, great question. I think, you know, I think as I said, both teams have done phenomenally well to get there, um, but I would, I, I fancy Luton and yeah. Um, yeah, I think both both teams will fully deserve it and both teams could win, but I just think Luton might have a little bit too much um, for commentary and they're also one of our partners
1: uh, of right. as well. So. so they got players that are, that are taking that? Yeah, their whole club uses the the Tormico shots. Yeah, right. That's massive. Okay, I've got a new reason to root for them in this game then as well. That's huge. I also did want to ask yeah. you. You played. You, I think you have played with a couple of Aussies mm-hmm. in your career. You played with Adam Federici down at mm-hmm. down at Reading. You also played with Ben Foster, who's playing uh, over at Wrexham. Best goalkeeper you played with in your career.
0: Oh, best goalkeeper. Yeah, I played with a few, like sort of Wayne Hennessy was phenomenal. Mm. Um yep. obviously Ben Foster, like super class. Adam Federici again, he was a top top goalkeeper. Yeah. Um yeah, oh it's a tough one. I'd probably have to I'd have to go with Wayne Hennessy. I think at the time I reckon he could have gone into any any um top four team in, in, in Europe. Right. Um but he's uh, yeah, he was he was a top top goalie.
1: Brilliant. I will, I'll, I'll make sure Adam's not listening to this one. No, but uh, I know he scored that famous goal for, <laughs> back in, I think it was for Reading, a famous goal that he scored as well to, uh, to keep you guys either in the league or it was for a promotion as well. He does, it does love to pop yeah. up for a late corner, Adam, as well. Uh, <laughs> last one I do want to ask you is, as a forward, you would have played against the Brutes, the Brutes in the championship, in the Premier League and at international level. Who was the defender that just gave you the most nightmares, was just a nightmare to play against?
0: Yeah, I'd probably say um, 100% uh, Virgil van Dijk is, you know, probably the the toughest um, player that I've played against defensive-wise. Just because physically, you know, normally, like, if you come up against a defender, you might be able to physically bully them. Mm. You might be able to, you know, think quicker than them. So you can, you know, sort of get half a yard, you know, a little bit of quick play. Mm. But he just has everything. So, you know, he'd be able to, you know, he's quicker than you, stronger than you. He, he reads the game better than you you know so it's like a tough tough opponent that being said i did put one in the top corner against Southampton <laughs> when he was playing there but um but yeah no it's um he, he's up there yeah
1: yeah, he's an absolute specimen, isn't he? And uh, he's, he's come back quite well from that ACL injury as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the turmeric co as well. Big Virgil van Dijk. Hal, an absolute pleasure to catch up with you, mate. I can't wait to get over there and, and try this for myself, even if that's before you bring it to Australia. It was great to chat with a legend of the game. And hopefully we do see you lacing up the boots somewhere soon, mate. Thanks for joining us.
0: So <laughs> long, class. Thank you very much. Cheers.